Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Good morning. My name is Pastor James. I'm the student ministries pastor here at Painesville Assembly of God, and I'm honored to be bringing the word. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for giving me the opportunity. So uh, let's jump right in this morning. Uh, In August of 1888, a story was run in the Columbia Chess Chronicle, the Columbia Chess Chronicle about chess master uh, Paul Morphy. The story was about uh, a visit that Paul Morphy had 20 years prior uh, to Richmond, Virginia, where he was uh, having dinner and visiting with some of the elite in the city, and they were going to have some dinner and and play a, a game of chess. And so, um, but while they were eating, uh, this image caught Mr. Morphy's attention. If you guys could put that image up, this painting was hanging on the wall. The painting is titled Checkmate, and uh, let me read to you the description um, from the Columbia Chess Chronicle as you look at it. It says, the devil is playing a game of chess with a young man for his soul. In bad case indeed is the unhappy youth, for his game as represented appears not only desperate but hopeless and his fate sealed. His adversary gloats in anticipation of the final coup and the gleaming smile on the face of the latter intensifies the despair which that of the young man shows. This morning I want to talk to you from the topic checkmate. Checkmate. Anybody fans of chess in the room? Anybody like to play chess. Okay, a few of you. Uh, how many of you are more like me where checkers is more your speed? Any, okay, all right, yeah, a lot more of us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so even if you don't know uh, all the rules about how to play the game of chess, you've probably heard the term checkmate before. Checkmate. It means it's over. It means the game is done. You see, when you're playing the game of chess, you win when you corner the opponent's king and the king no longer has any more moves. If the king is cornered and has no more moves, then the opponent will say checkmate, signaling the end of the game. You see, sometimes in life we face impossible situations where it seems like the enemy of our soul has declared checkmate over our lives. When we lose our job unexpectedly, that bill that shows up that just blows up our budget, when our spouse asks for a divorce, that wayward child who is in trouble yet again, there are times and seasons in our life where we face something impossible, where we're like the young man pictured in this painting, and it seems hopeless, it seems like it's over. It seems like it's all over. Now, the story in the Chess Chronicle continues by saying this. It says, with the close of supper, deeply interested, Morphy approached this picture. He studied it a while intently, and then turning to his host, he said modestly, I think I can take the young man's game and win. While impossible was the answer, not even you, Mr. Morphy, can retrieve that game Yet I think I can, said Mr. Morphy. Suppose we place the men and try. So a board was arranged and the rest of the company gathered around, deeply interested in the result. To the surprise of everyone, victory was snatched from the devil and the young man saved. 
Thinking that a blunder must have led to this unexpected result, one after another did each sober, I like how it says sober, and, and serious gentleman essay the devil's part, and to each in turn did Mr. Morphy prove that not even on intellectual grounds could the enemy be defended, for Morphy beat them one and all. What I love about that little story is that even when it seems like it's over, victory can be snatched from the jaws of defeat as long as the king has one more move. As long as the king has one more move, it's not over as long as the king of kings has one more move in your life. It's not over. Don't give up on your spouse, your wayward child, your son, your daughter, your loved one, because the king has one more move. That unexpected bill doesn't have to cripple you because the king has one more move. Don't lose hope. The king of kings has one more move. That layoff isn't always what it seems because the king has one more move. Our king always has one more move. So this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about King Jehoshaphat from Second Chronicles chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can uh, get them open to Second Chronicles chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. As you are turning there, scrolling there, whatever you're doing, finding that, let me give you a little bit of background about uh, where we're at in the history of the Bible. King Jehoshaphat was uh, king in Judah in the ninth century BC. The time frame is it's about 100 years after the kingdom was divided under King Rehoboam. He's actually a contemporary of King Ahab, who was the wicked king in the northern kingdom of Israel. But unlike Ahab, Jehoshaphat wasn't a wicked king. Jehoshaphat was a good king who actually led the nation in reform and led them back to worshiping the Lord. Second Chronicles 17, three through four says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. So Jehoshaphat is a good king who followed after the Lord, but sometimes even when you're doing everything right, everything can seem to go wrong. That's what happens in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He's serving the Lord. He's leading the nation of Israel in reform, but still he faces an impossible situation. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 1 says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Menuhites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. How many of you know three against one really isn't that fair? These three armies have, have declared a coalition, an alliance, and they are going to go to war and wage war against Judah and the people of God there. This is not a good situation for Jehoshaphat. He's outgunned, he's outarmed, he's outnumbered, and these armies are out for blood. The circumstances were dire. Second Chronicles 20 verse 3 says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Israel. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. Now that word alarmed in the original Hebrew means alarmed. It, it means he was, he, that's what it means. It means he was fearful. 
He was afraid, he was terrified, he was alarmed. And we see how alarmed he actually was because he declares a fast for the entire nation of Israel. He declares this fast. They were facing the possibility of extinction or at best, a lifetime of slavery. This isn't a first world problem Jehoshaphat is facing. This is a serious, serious issue, a serious problem But Jehoshaphat was resolved to inquire upon the Lord. This was his first instinct. His first instinct when facing a difficult situation was he resolved to inquire of the Lord. I wonder what our first instinct is when we face an impossible situation. Do we go to the throne or do we go to the phone? Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to seek godly counsel, in fact, I think it's good, I think we should seek godly counsel, but what is our first instinct? Our first instinct should be to go to the Lord. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That means he was resolute in his inquiry of God. He was resolute in his inquiry. As we continue reading 2 Chronicles 20, we'll see that Men and women, people from from every city in the nation of Judah gathered together in the capital city of Jerusalem for a time of fasting and a time of prayer to, to call upon the name of the Lord. And King Jehoshaphat, he stood up among the nation, the entire, all of the peoples that were gathered there, and he prayed. He prayed. He sought the Lord. And verses 6 through 12 give us a detailed uh, uh, writing of his prayer, and I'm not going to read them all today because I just want to focus on the last thing that he said in verse 12, Second Chronicles 20, 12. This is the end of Jehoshaphat's prayer. He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. The enemy thought he had Jehoshaphat in checkmate. He thought, the enemy thought that they had outnumbered him, that the position was hopeless. Jehoshaphat knew his weaknesses. He knew that there was no, he had no power. He says that to God. God, we have no power to stand against this enemy. He recognized his own weakness in the situation. He says that he has no power and he has no idea. He has no power and he has no clue about what to do. Have you ever been in a situation in your life that's completely out of your control? Anybody ever been in that type of situation? Uh, You know, the more that I grow up and the older that I become, the more life experience that I have, the more I realize there is a lot of things that are outside of my control a lot of things outside of my control. In fact, I would say most things are are outside of my control, but there is nothing outside of God's control, and Jehoshaphat is resolute in his inquiry, and he's resolute in fixing his eyes to the Lord. He says, we have no power, we have no ability to stop this army, but I trust you, Lord, But you do, God. I have no control in the situation. And for some of us who are control freaks, 
lack of control is aggravating, it's frustrating, it causes fear and anxiety inside of us, but God is always in control. And Jehoshaphat chooses to look to the Lord. He says, God, I'm in a terrible situation. I have no control. I have no clue what to do about it, but I trust you, and I look to you. He acts upon the words of the psalmist in Psalms 120, 1 and 2, which says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. When the situation gets hopeless, where do your eyes go? Where does your attention go? Where does your focus go? You see, I think hopelessness is a matter of perspective. Hopelessness is a matter of perspective. Holocaust survivor Viktor Frankl writes this. He said, when we are no longer able to change the situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. That's so good, I'm gonna say it again. When we are no longer able to change the situation, when things are totally outside of our control and we can't change what's going on, what we can change is us. What we can change is our response. What we can change is our perspective, and that's what Jehoshaphat is doing. He says, I don't know what to do, Lord, but my eyes are fixed. Not on my problems, my eyes are fixed on the God of my answers, the God of my solutions, the king who has one more move. That's where my eyes and my perspective are, and he's resolved to inquire of the Lord. He was resolved to stop focusing on the enormity of his difficulty and to keep his eyes fixed on the immensity of his deity. It was a change in perspective. God, I choose to turn my eyes off of everything else and I choose to turn my eyes to you. When you can't change your position, change your perspective. When you can't change your position, Change your perspective. When you can't change the situation around you, change you. Move. Change your focus. Change your perspective. That's what Jehoshaphat's doing. And when it looked like the enemy had Jehoshaphat in checkmate, he looked to the king who had one more move. After Jehoshaphat prayed, God sent an answer. Verse 15 says this, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army for the battle is not yours, but God's. But God's. See, when we try to take control of the situation, we fight out of our strength. We go to battle out of our strength. When we try to hold on desperately to control, when things are already outside of our control, we go to war in our own power and our own ability. But when we're willing to release it and say, God, my focus and attention is on you, what happens is we give God the ability to step into our situation and fight the battles that we can't win. We give him the ability to fight the battles that we can't win. And listen to the result. Second Chronicles 20, 22 through 25. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. 
The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, so when the men of Judah, Jehoshaphat and his armies, are coming to go to war against this hopeless situation, they look out on the battlefield and they see nothing but dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off the plunder they found among a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. That's what our God does. God turns an impossible situation, he turns an impossible battle, and he turns it around not only so that we have the victory, but he turns it around so much so that there are three days. It takes three whole days to carry off the spoils of victory. That's what our God does. That's the God we serve. When it looks impossible, remember the king has one more move. Jehoshaphat faced defeat, but the king had one more move. You know, the more I think about this game of chess, the more I think that it relates a lot to our lives. It does. Uh, you might not know chess, but you might know that uh, the term checkmate, and you might also know another term in chess, check. Check. You see, check is a term that the opponent will use when they're one move away from victory. When they're one move away from victory, the opponent will say check. Okay, for those of us who like less sophisticated games than this one, think of Uno, right? When you're playing Uno and you, your opponent has one card left, they have one move away from victory, they say Uno. Okay, right, so, so think, of, think of that. Uh, uh, but in chess... They say, check, check, okay? So uh, Jehoshaphat was in a situation where the enemy was one move away from victory. He was in check. He was in check. And uh, I think that there are three things that we need to, as believers, we need to remember in our lives when the enemy has us in a position of check. When we're facing an impossible situation, a difficulty, there are three things that we need to remember when the enemy has us in check. Three things that we need to remember that will help us to fix our eyes on the Lord and off of our problems and situations. The first thing is that something insignificant has the potential to be the best piece on the board. We need to remember that something insignificant has the potential to be the best piece on the board. You may or may not have played the game of chess before, but even so, you probably know the piece called the pawn. The pawn. It's the most insignificant piece on the board. It can only move one space and forward after its first move. It can't move backward. It can only move diagonally when it's an attacking an opponent, and it can't move side to side. It's the most insignificant piece on the board. That's why there's so many of them. There's more pawns on the board than any other piece. In fact, there's as many pawns on the board as every other piece. The pawn is insignificant. But something happens in the game of chess when you take the pawn and you reach the end of the opponent's side of the board. If you're familiar with chess, if you can get, take a pawn and you can reach it to the end of the opponent's side of the board, then you'll know that you can then exchange that pawn for any other piece. 
It's called a promotion. And if you can get the pawn to the end of the chessboard, you can turn the pawn, the most insignificant piece, into the queen, the best piece on the board. So it is in our lives. Let's look at it from a biblical perspective. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, the apostle Paul wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in perspectives, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You might see a pawn. God sees a queen. You might look at yourself and your weaknesses and see insignificance, see a pawn, but God sees that that pawn has the potential to be the best piece on the board when it's in the right situation, under the right circumstances, in the hands of God. Look at David. David was too weak, too young to go to battle with his brothers. There was an army of trained soldiers that had all the equipment. They had all the armor. Who was the one who killed Goliath? The insignificant one, David. Look at Moses before the burning bush. Moses said to God, I can't go and speak to Pharaoh. I can't speak. Please let me take my brother Aaron. Let him come and speak for me. God says, okay. But as far as I know, I don't know of any place in scripture where Aaron actually speaks up and speaks in Pharaoh's court. I see Moses speaking a lot. Why? Because God turned Moses' weakness in God's hands become a strength. We need to remember, we need to remember when the enemy has us in check that something insignificant has the potential to be the best piece on the board. Second thing that we need to remember is that there's no such thing as a perfect game. There's no such thing as a perfect game. In fact, um, there's a German word that many chess players use while they're playing the game of chess. The word is, and I'm, I'm probably butchering it, so if you are an avid chess player and you know this, uh, please don't get angry with me. Um, the word is zugzwang, I think, something like that. Uh, zugzwang is the word. And literally translated into English, that German word means compulsion to move. Compulsion to move. See, in the game of chess, no matter how difficult you find your situation, there's no such thing as a pass. There's no such thing as a pass. You don't get to pass your turn. You have a compulsion to move. Even when every possible move that you have left on the board seems like a bad move, you have to keep going. You have to keep moving. Even when it seems like every possible, even though it means you're going to lose a piece, even if it means you, it seems like you're going to set the opponent up in a better position, you have a compulsion to move. So it is in life. You and I have a compulsion to move. Just like in chess, there's no passes. In life, we don't get passes. We don't get passes in life. We have a compulsion to move. Even when things seem terrible, even in difficulty, even in impossible situations, we don't get to hide our heads under a rock. We have a compulsion to move. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
In this world, you will have trouble. Following Christ doesn't mean your life will be perfect when you choose to surrender him. Oftentimes, the opposite is true. Why is it that as followers of Jesus, we say we want to follow in his footsteps, but we become shocked when we experience the type of suffering that he experienced? To follow Christ is to suffer. Speaking of Christ, centuries before he was ever born, Isaiah wrote this. He said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. To follow Christ is to be mocked because Christ was mocked. To follow Christ is to be betrayed because Christ was betrayed. To follow Christ is to suffer because Christ suffered. But take heart, he has overcome the world. You may face trouble in this life that doesn't give us an excuse to pass. We have a compulsion to move. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have a compulsion to take ground. We have a compulsion to keep going. We have a compulsion to keep moving. We can't give up the fight. We have to keep going even when it seems impossible. Remember that we have a compulsion to move. We may find ourselves in difficult situations where it feels like the only moves left we have are bad ones. It seems like every move we make is going to lead to some kind of suffering. We just have to keep going. We just have to keep pursuing Jesus. We just have to keep our eyes fixed on the prize, which is Jesus Christ, which brings us to the final point. Because listen, We can't give up because he hasn't given up on us. And so the first thing that we need to remember when the enemy has us in check is we need to remember that the sometimes the insignificant parts of our lives have the potential to become the best pieces on the board. The second thing is there's no such thing as a perfect game, so we have to keep moving. And the third thing that we need to remember is that it's not over as long as the king has one more move. When it seems like it's all over and it looks like there's no hope left, as long as the king has one more move, it isn't over. It looked like it was over for Jehoshaphat. It looked like checkmate, but the king had one more move. And King Jehoshaphat's move was to go to the king of kings who always has one more move. The gospels tell us that The religious leaders, they were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous and they were fearful of Jesus. They were jealous of the attention he was getting and they were afraid of the attention he was getting because they were afraid that the people would, that there would be an imbalance of power in Judea because the people would side with with him and then there would be others who would side with the religious leaders. There would be an imbalance of power and they were afraid that the Romans would handle the imbalance of power like they handled everything with the sword. They were afraid of this. And this is why in uh, John chapter 11, verse, verse 50, Caiaphas, the high priest, said to the Jewish religious council, the Sanhedrin, you do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And this is the moment that they decided we need to get rid of Jesus. We need to kill Jesus. And so they devised a scheme and a plot and Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. He was arrested 
He was put on trial that became a kangaroo court. He was taken from one official to the next to the next, and then he, he found himself before Pilate. For the second time, actually, he found himself before Pilate. And Pilate, who was a man of cruelty, who was a man known to be brutal, he, he had people slaughtered in the streets. He had crucified hundreds of people before this. Even him said, I find no fault in this man. And yet the religious leaders who had stirred up the crowd, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate had Jesus flogged and crucified. He was nailed to a cross. And after hours of hanging on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When Jesus said, it is finished, the religious leaders thought that that meant checkmate. To them, they thought, it's over. We won. We did what we have accomplished. The religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, Pilate, Caiaphas, all of them, they declared checkmate. But what they didn't realize was that when Jesus said, it is finished, he might as well have said checkmate. Game over, it is done, it is finished, because the king had one more move. And three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, checkmating death, hell, sin forever. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. Anybody thankful that you have victory in the name of Jesus? The king had one more move. And when Jesus said it is finished, he said, checkmate. This morning, if you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to give you the opportunity. Jesus came to earth and he suffered that death on the cross that I just explained to you, and he did so for you. He took your place. The Bible teaches us that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. No forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. That means it was either your blood or his blood, and he chose his blood. And he went to the cross and he shed his blood for you. And then he says, if you surrender your life to me, if you ask me for forgiveness, you might find yourself in an impossible situation this morning. I don't know if you came to church and you walked in here with a burden of an impossible situation hanging from your shoulders. Know this, the king has one more move. And because the king has one more move, you can find forgiveness you can find freedom from that addiction that you've been suffering with. You can find freedom from the fear and anxiety that has been crippling you. You can find hope and freedom as long as the king has one more move. And our king always, always, always has one more move. So this morning, with every head bowed in this place, and every eye closed, if you would say, Nobody's looking around today. This is between you and God. But if you would say, I have never surrendered my life to Christ or I have in the past, but I know I'm not living for him now. I, I laid my life down at the foot of the cross before, but I know I've picked it up a few times and I've been 
living for myself instead of living for the Lord. And today, once again, I want to surrender my life. Or I've never done this, but today for the very first time, I want to surrender my life to him because I need him. Would you just slip your hand right up in the air and put it right back down? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.